What is up, everybody? I'm back with another edition of the Macro Insights Pod. So I have rebranded, changed this podcast a little bit. I get into a little bit as to why, but essentially, long story short, I want to bring a little bit more broad guests and not just focus on the stock market. So hence, we're going to bring on the Macro Insights era of this podcast. And I have Nick Peich. Nick is a big-time YouTuber who uh, puts up a lot of videos based on stock market content, and so we get into his story, why he started putting out content, a little bit about his background and his upbringing, as well as taking a dive into Tesla. So Tesla bulls and bears, beware. We are going to take a dive into that stock as to why Nick loves it. And yeah, much, much more. So be sure to tune in. But as always, as always, this is not financial advice. So please, please, please do not take it as financial advice. Everything you hear in this podcast is strictly for entertainment purposes only and is not financial advice. So remember, not financial advice. Now let's get into this show. What is up, everybody? I'm back with another edition of the Macro Insights Podcast. So I'm doing a little switch here. I'm changing it from the Sunday Scaries to Macro Insights to bring a little bit more, uh, I guess, broad-based people and guests uh, that are experts in their field. So we're we're not just going to focus strictly on the stock market, although this episode will be on the stock market. I'm going to do that, real estate, uh, maybe some commodity experts, And uh, yeah, just bringing on a lot more broader topics, kind of getting along the lines of my Tuesday night Twitter spaces. Uh, So if you check those out at Green Candle IT on those, um, just kind of getting some people along those lines as well. But first, before we get started, I'd like to thank my sponsor, Inverse. So Inverse is a social and collaborative investment research platform. So many companies like Robinhood have increased the access to financial markets, well, Inverse is increasing the access to high-quality investment research and discussion. So the entire platform is built around top-notch data and tools for over 10,000 stocks and ETFs seamlessly embedded into the platform. And in the coming weeks, you'll be able to link your brokerage account and share your portfolio to add a little bit of that credibility behind some of your arguments and some of your takes on stocks and it'll also uh, give you a access to clean your portfolio and take some analytics and t- take a deep dive into your stock portfolio. And so I've been using Inverse for quite some time now, and I absolutely love it. So come and join me on Inverse, and that is I-N-V-R-S dot com, and join my Green Candle group. Um, so yeah, come join me and uh, post in there and give a little discussion. But I got a very special guest He's a YouTube star, Nick Peich. Nick, how are you doing today? Hey, how's it going, guys? <clears throat> Thanks for having me on the show, Brennan. Of course, of course. So, Nick, for those who don't know about you, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started finding investing? Sure. So I ended up growing up in Kelowna, British Columbia. And for those of you who don't know, it's just the most Western province in Canada, And basically, I did university at the University of Alberta, so the province next door, and took chemical engineering for my major. Uh, 
So that was definitely a, a tough but uh, fun major that I did. And it was about in my third year, I was on a co-op term uh, working at Suncor Energy. And I started doing a little bit of research into stocks after seeing some YouTube videos from financial education, Jeremy, and just kind of some of the biggest stars out there. I think Graham Stephan was just starting to post videos back then. And uh, that's kind of my intro to stocks. I started getting way more interested in it. And then all throughout fourth year, I was doing research and then kind of planning out my ideas of wanting to start a YouTube channel because I wanted to, I think teaching is one of the best ways that you can personally learn about things. So that definitely was one of the motivations. Obviously, you know, YouTube ad revenue can be pretty lucrative if you work it up to a pretty big uh, following. So that was definitely a motivation as well. But overall, I'm just super passionate about investing and picking individual stocks. So yeah. Yeah, that's awesome stuff. So, um, you know, we got something in common here. You were chemical engineering while I had biomedical and mechanical engineering background. So we're both engineers. Um, and so I think it's kind of like an interesting perspective to kind of come at investing from you know, that engineering mindset, because that's what I think school really taught me was not, you know, maybe, uh, of course, like the engineering principles, but it's also like the process of how to think, right? How to kind of go through yeah. scientific method, that kind of stuff. Do you think that you kind of find yourself going through that, like engineering methodology when you're looking at and analyzing stocks, uh, kind of looking at the financials and things like that? Or um, do you kind of look at, a, I guess, more of like, a you know, just a fundamental approach? Yeah, there's definitely both aspects. So I find when I'm investing, there's kind of two different groups of research that I could put myself into. First of all, there's like the technical side of research. So I could do, you know, calculate the PE ratio, calculate, you know, what the revenue could be, do future projections. But then there's also that aspect of trying to think about the bigger picture of the company. Like if we're looking at Tesla stock, for instance, obviously the industry trends are looking very positive for them. Um, you know, there's there's so many different factors that you can't plug into a spreadsheet, like the innovation within their manufacturing facilities. Those are things that I would not consider to be my engineering mindset thinking about them. But the more technical side of things like statistics, I've done statistical analyses on my YouTube channel, I've done you know, compound interest calculations from taking a course on uh, engineering economics, which really helped. Um, so yeah, a lot of that stuff has definitely helped me out uh, through taking my engineering. And I think I have a better footing than some other investors that might not have that background. Yeah, I got you. And I definitely, you know, kind of feel the same way that it, it, it definitely helps with like the analytical aspect of it. Um, mm -hmm. But there's also, you know, some fundamental aspects where, uh, you know, I think uh, people can can figure it out as well. Um, and everybody has their strengths and weaknesses, I think, when it comes to investing. So it's not that, you know, being an engineer or something along those lines is vital to be a, an investor. But, uh, you know, you got to take uh, your strengths where you can and, and use those to your advantage. Right. So um, mm -hmm. on that note, um, do you think that there was something like in your past or maybe like a family upbringing that made you more inclined to start investing um you know maybe your your family was into it or talking about it more so than uh the average family or um you know was it just kind of something that you heard about in school or from a friend that that kind of got you started that's a great question 
and actually what I forgot to mention earlier was my dad is really into real estate investing. So that's kind of what got me into that investing mindset and being able to grow your money and compound and snowball it over time. So I like the real estate investing approach, but it wasn't too feasible for me while I was in university and I don't know, living in so many different places due to my co-op terms and my schooling. So the nice thing about the stock market is you can be anywhere in the world and still invest in the companies that you want to and start learning about investing and make your money compound. Whereas with real estate, you kind of have to be localized in a certain area, have enough money to put down as a down payment. And there are more barriers to entry when it comes to real estate. So I started with stock market investing and uh, I found that really interesting just because there's always so much news going on in the stock market. And it's a little bit more interesting, I find, than real estate investing, which is the slow but almost sure way of becoming rich over time <laughs> is the way that I've heard it before. So, yeah. And then I've also got my my own property here. Like my dad has influenced me that way. So um, I'm living in an upstairs suite here in Grand Prairie, Alberta. And then I rent out the lower suite. So it's kind of my own rental property and do that side of things as well. So I like both. And then I'm going to be saving up for another property coming pretty soon. So hopefully once interest rates start dropping and then prices have kind of hopefully bottomed, then I'll start kind of looking for real estate. Wow, that's funny. Like, uh, and it comes down to it. Me and you have a lot more in common than I than I initially knew before we got started in this. I'm also yeah. uh, in a duplex where I'm living on the top unit now, but I'm Airbnb at the bottom right now. Uh, I oh. did have a long term renter in there at first, um, but I don't know. I just decided. Uh, I a friend approached me, asked if she could manage it, and if she if she did the Airbnb, if I would just let her run with it. It's like, yeah, sure. You know, why not? Um, and it's been going really well so far. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm hoping to potentially get another property here in the next uh, year or two as well uh, to kind of grow that side of things as well. So I think, you know, there's there's definitely an aspect of people get really specialized in one area. Right. And they think that, you know, this one area makes them a lot of money. Right. So whether it's like, you know, like you said, your dad in real estate or, Maybe uh, somebody that's really famous is or really good at picking stocks like a Warren Buffett. I, I think that there's like kind of, a, you know, room for people to kind of diversify and invest in different areas because, you know, they can they have their different advantages. Right. So like real estate, for example, you have to have somewhere to live. But like, you know, being able to get that cash flow, if dividend investing isn't really working out for you or something along those lines, like, you know, real estate's a great way to get get some cash flow and get some some money in your pocket. Um, mm. where like stocks, you know, maybe you could grow them a little bit quicker over time. Um, and it also depends where you're at globally, too, because I know in the U.S., it's a lot easier to get uh, your first time home. Like what I did here was I. Uh, used what's called an FHA loan. And so you you can do that from anything from a single family to a quadplex in the U.S. And oh. uh, you only have to put three and a half percent down. So, uh, you know, I, I've been lucky enough to get a lot of appreciation through like this COVID and everything like that on, you know, mostly borrowed money. And then uh, the Airbnb essentially like, you know, pays for the mortgage and the bills and stuff too. So, you know, on top of everything, I'm essentially like living for free, I guess, even though I got to pay taxes on uh, that earned income at the end of the year. But, um, 
yeah, I mean, I think there's there's definitely advantages for all different kinds of investing. And I think, uh, you know, people, you know, can just kind of find, uh, you know, what makes sense to them and uh, go from there, I think. But awesome. Whereabouts in the U.S. are you? I'm in Tampa, Florida. So, um, okay. yeah, a lot of people have been flocking here. And so uh, in turn, like rent has gone up a lot and, uh, you know, housing prices, although they're starting to come down a little bit now, at least according to like Zillow and Redfin and what have you. So, uh, you know, I guess take for that what you will. Yeah, the supply is definitely going up. And I, I'm watching Meet Kevin's videos because he's he's like a really big real estate investor. And he's been kind of pointing at this for the past few months, like, Oh yeah, interest rates are rising. Obviously, every percentage point increase in interest rates reduces the demand by about ten percent. So, prices are probably going to come down a little bit. And real estate tends to lag the stock market too. So, like we saw that big crash in the stock market over the past few months, but then real estate is now just starting to come down. So, it could be a few more months of that. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I definitely can see that as well. I also think too, like it's gonna affect different areas in the uh, U.S. at least um, in d differently than, you know, certain states. So um, I think like you know, places like California, New York, um, maybe like Massachusetts, Boston area, where a lot of people have been leaving and coming to a lot of the states like Florida, Texas, Tennessee, what have you. Um, I think those states, maybe we'll see like a little bit of a decrease, but won't quite see like the bottom that um, like, you know, maybe like in New York or California, there's these places that already had extremely high housing prices um, uh, already. And uh, yeah, so I think those ones will probably get hurt a little bit more. But I don't know, I think time will tell. It's definitely an interesting time in real estate. Um, but yeah, I, I, along the lines of like, you know, your family upbringing and, and everything like that, did that kind of like get you started investing early on? Um, I know you said you kind of started looking at it in college. Um, did your dad kind of get you in, I don't know, helping with flips or something along those lines, um, you know, maybe pre-college or pre-university? Honestly, I wish. Um, <laughs> his dad, so my grandpa, he's passed away since, but I remember us having a conversation when I was in like, high school or first year university and he was saying like oh we got to get you into commercial real estate like <laughs> really young really at a young age but I just I don't think I was mature enough back then and also there was a lot going on in my life like moving from different cities so and then also the aspect of them not doing any stock market investing I was kind of on my own at that point so I just decided to take the initiative um, just like throughout university when it gotcha. comes to stocks, yeah. Yeah, awesome. So then, uh, you know, what made you decide to start putting out content? I know you kind of pointed to like, you know, teaching is like the best way to kind of learn. But, um, you know, there is also that, you know, fear factor that you put out stuff, nobody's going to watch it or, uh, you know, maybe something along those lines. So what kind of gave you that push mm -hmm. to start making videos and putting out investing related content? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was a little bit of uh, fear and the thought of what are people going to think of me after I post my first few videos and like, I don't know. I, I didn't worry about that too much. Like I didn't really think about my friends watching my videos all the time. I was just kind of thinking of, Oh, random people are going to see my videos. So it doesn't really matter what they, what they think of me. <clears throat> and my first few videos were super awkward. Like 
looking back on them now is pretty cringe. But uh, yeah, like nowadays doesn't bother me at all. All my friends seem to support my videos. And yeah, it's just been like really good for me personally, I think, in my professional growth and speaking abilities too. Like I used to not be the best speaker or public speaker or just, you know, having conversations, but YouTube has helped me a lot with that. So there's definitely a lot of benefits from starting a YouTube channel. And I think I recognized a few of them beforehand, but then recognized more of them along the way as I was doing my YouTube channel. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, too. Uh, I think it's helped me kind of put out some more of my thoughts in a little bit more of a concise manner or, uh, I guess, be able to verbalize them a little bit better as well. Um, but do you think that putting out content has kind of helped you become a better investor? You know, maybe getting some kickback from some commenters or, um, you know, just making you really think about uh, your investing strategy before you put out like a video or something along those lines about it? That's a good question. Yeah, for sure. Like, I'm not gonna, I know that I'm not responsible for others, but in a way, as a content creator, you do feel some sort of responsibility even though you do have those disclaimers, because some people will blindly follow you into investments um, just based on your own research. So you hope to do the best research possible. <clears throat> so yeah, I have improved the quality of my research over time. And yeah, comparing to back when I started out making videos, the amount of research that I would do compared to now and just understanding businesses so much better is it's remarkable the difference. So that's definitely helped me out a lot. Um, and I'm not totally sure if I answered your question there. Is that kind of what you were wondering about? Yeah. I mean, it just like essentially just how, how, have you noticed like when you first started, you know, maybe you just were like, okay, well, I kind of like what I'm seeing so far. But, you know, when you start putting out a video on it, right, it some of these things can get challenged. And it's, it can't just be like, well, you know, I have a good feeling about this CEO or something like that, or, you know, I saw this interview or whatever, like you got to have a little bit more of a basis or an argument behind it, at least like, you know, in my opinion, you, you probably need to have that or else you're going to get some kickback on your content or, you know, you're not really adding that value. So, um, you know, I, I guess for me personally, too, like it, it's definitely made me kind of look at some of the things that I put out and be like, okay, like was like the ones that, especially the ones that don't do like, you know, as well as like, okay, what, what was uh, different between this one and, you know, something a little bit better. And usually it's like, well, I didn't put in like the time or, um, you know, the quality of the content of it, you know, wasn't quite as good as, you know, another video that I put out. Um, mm -hmm. and and it, I find, oh, sorry about that. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So I find like, there's also that balance between doing good enough research and then also having your, your content value and like entertainment value high enough. So it's like, you don't want to get too bogged down into the details, but you also want to provide good enough research as well as some entertainment in your videos. So I know what you mean there. And yeah, like I've, I've definitely made a lot of mistakes in stock calls. Like I'm sure every other YouTuber has. Um, and that's definitely made me learn over time. And like a lot of commenters, have left comments before I realized that I was making a mistake. So listening to feedback has definitely, or like nowadays I think about feedback and comments from commenters as 
a little bit more positive than I used to before. So sometimes it's good to notice the early warning signs in an investment and like listen to what other people are saying or just kind of not be too optimistic about an investment and think about it uh, as if you're not invested in that company and just not attached to that company. So I've learned a lot for sure from the feedback of others. Yeah, that's great. Um, and so now like more, a little bit more into like the current investing environment. So, you know, we've seen, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, various macroeconomic factors to say the very least, uh, in the past couple years, we've seen a ton of money printing and now we're seeing the CPI, uh, come out, uh, you know, every month. And it seems like it's more and more popularized, at least on like the, in the Twitter world. Um, I know you're, you're bigger on YouTube opposed to, to Twitter, but, um, you know, uh, like the CPI print of eight and a half happened like earlier this month. And, uh, from that, it seemed like the market responded really, really well. And it, it all shot up, which in my opinion was kind of surprising, right? Because the fed's goal is like 2% theoretically. And, uh, it seems like, because it was lower than expectations and it was lower than the 9.1 from the previous month, it is, uh, you know, something that I guess uh, investors in the market looked at positively. So do you look at like, you know, any of these macroeconomic factors kind of like this um, CPI or PPI or some of these other things to kind of help you with like trading the day to day, or are you more like a long-term investor and you kind of just, you know, take these, uh, you know, uh, macroeconomic factors with like a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, um, that's definitely a multi-part question there. So if I'm just starting to answer about, you know, the CPI print, for example, like you were saying, it doesn't really make sense. And I agree, like it's, it's as if investors don't look at the absolute values. They just look at, does it beat expectations or does it fall below expectations? And that essentially goes for earnings results too. But I also find that the stock market is forward looking. So maybe six to 12 months in the future. So I guess investors are expecting that inflation will die down within the next 12 months. And that's why we're kind of seeing that rebound in stocks right now. As for your question on, uh, am I a long-term investor or day trader? Definitely a long-term investor. I try not to focus on macro factors too much i'll look into them and consider the types of investments that i want to hold so for instance in an inflationary time it's probably not good to hold companies with a lot of debt like you know if interest rates are going up uh and a company holds a lot of debt that could be pretty bad for the company so holding companies with very little debt um still being able to grow quite quickly uh still have really good earnings power they're not unprofitable, things like that. So I'll consider the types of investments that I hold, but I try not to let it influence me on when I'm going to buy or sell, because I think if you're just basing it on that, there's too many factors to consider. Nobody can get it right over the long term. So I just tend to hold my investments and whatever they do in the short term doesn't really matter. I gotcha. But do you like kind of look at, I guess, um, you know, I guess, how do you, uh, certain companies and look at like different sectors are you like kind of seeing like hey you know um for example right so there's like an energy crisis right now in a lot of places and so energy stocks have been doing really well whether it's like you know exxon that kind of stuff 
Um, do you kind of look at that and be like, okay, well, because of energy, you know, the, the shortage and everything like that, um, and some of the issues in that overall sector right now, it might be a good play. Um, or do you kind of, uh, you know, maybe look at just general ideas from other content creators and you kind of get your stock picks from there? How do you, uh, I guess, go about like finding companies? Honestly, I tend to go against the grain. So if you see energy stocks doing super well, it's most likely that you've missed the train at that point. It's already up like 50 to 100%. And I was telling, like, so I talk with a lot of friends and stuff like that. And a lot of people are saying, oh, invest in oil now. And that was basically a few months ago when it was at the all-time high. And I was saying, no, I'd rather invest in a lot of these tech companies that are depressed and at like all-time lows because I know eventually they're going to rebound. So I'll consider these different sectors and their relative performance. So if I see, you know, energy is doing super well, I might liquidate some energy stocks. Like I sold Suncor a little bit too early, um, but ended up putting that into tech. And then now we're seeing that tech rebound and then now energy is dropping. So it's exactly sort of like we could have expected as sectors rotate into one another. Yeah, it's really hard to time the market too. So, I mean, you know, saying that you sold it too early, you know, I, I feel like everybody can kind of kick themselves, you know, they sold uh, and it continues to rip or whatever. But, you know, I think like if you wanted to, um, you know, reallocate that and put it into energy, you know, I, I mean, the, and you felt like it was good timing then it's everybody can play Monday morning quarterback, right? And like look at like, you know, some of these people making these great investments and timing it and everything. I think like at the end of the day, a lot of that is luck um, more than yeah. and so sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. But, um, you know, I think timing the market is very difficult, um, especially with all the research that I've done into it. And it just seems like, you know, uh, I guess for my mental health and my sleep that uh, just kind of like, you know, taking it that way, like, okay, well, I sold and everything's done, like quit looking at it because it could still go up or it could go down. And I've timed it perfectly. I don't know, but I'd rather just add a side out of mind, I guess. That's the thing. And like you've taken statistics as an engineer. It's like if there's a certain, a low probability that you will time the market right, as you compound that probability over like multiple years, it gets so infinitesimally small that you're actually going to get it right every single time. So eventually you're going to start getting it wrong. And it's like, you might time the market right once or twice, but then you'll get that confidence boost and then you'll keep doing it. But then you'll end up being wrong more times than you are right. So I'm trying not to get involved in that. <laughs> just trying to focus on like, yeah, just looking at the fu company fundamentals and investing in good businesses, whatever the macro environment is going on. So that's kind of my uh, mentality behind things. Yeah, exactly. The law of percentages is going to catch up to you eventually. So exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, we're, no, no use in putting a bunch of stress on there. But um, so, uh, you know, I guess on the market conditions, uh, it seems like it's been a very volatile time in the stock market. You know, you've seen the meme stock craze. You've seen, you know, stocks kind of shooting up more so than, you know, maybe when we first started investing. Um, and uh, so are you doing anything different now to like analyze stocks like during the, this volatile time? Like, are you position, positioning yourself 
any differently um, or are you just kind of sticking and staying course to your normal strategy? Um, I guess if we're talking about volatility in this time specifically, not really. I'm pretty used to volatility at this point. It doesn't bother me too much. Um, so like one of my biggest investments is Tesla. And so Tesla is a very volatile stock. It was up four and a half percent just yesterday. And then last Friday it was down 7%. So, <clears throat> you know, it's, it's incredibly volatile. Another stock that I own is Shopify. It's up or up or down 10% per day. It's just ridiculous. So I've tended to become pretty calloused when it comes to volatility. So I don't really position myself any differently. I just, again, focus on those company fundamentals and, um, with respect to inflation, maybe like I'll focus on more profitable companies and ones with lower debt and maybe adjust, uh, maybe the risk profile of some of my investments. So I'm not going to invest in a lot of companies that maybe I invested in during COVID that were just shooting to the moon. So, uh, when it comes to meme stocks, like, GameStop and AMC, I'm not too interested in owning those or owning really speculative investments. I'd rather focus all of my time and energy on companies that I understand really well and that do have a very good probability of doing well over the long term. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think, uh, you know, for me, I'm staying away from the meme stocks and and all that kind of craze too, because I, I just think like, you know, it's, it's just essentially just gambling. So, um, yeah. you know, I try to do a little bit more research and, and things like that. But let's dive into one of your holdings. You mentioned that you, uh, you know, hold Tesla. So what do you like about Tesla and how did you, uh, you know, what kind of gave you that push to start investing in it? Yeah. So initially I was a Tesla bear. So I, in 2020, we saw that meteoric rise. It was up like a thousand percent in a year. And I thought, oh, Tesla's so overvalued. And I actually made a video on it and you know got a decent amount of likes some people were hating but <laughs> i largely disregarded all of that hate because i just thought it was way too overvalued like you saw the pe ratio of 600 or something like that but then i started watching this one youtuber called solving the money problem and this was back in early 2021 i believe or maybe even late 2020 and he made a few videos that appeared in my in my YouTube recommendations and I watched them at the beginning, just, he was basically all in Tesla stock and talking about how Tesla's like the best investment. And he's basically got a million dollar portfolio and it's all in Tesla. And I was thinking, Oh, this guy's crazy. Like how could he ever do that? And just thinking about the amount of risk that he was taking, but then slowly over time, he actually convinced me to, uh, do my own research into Tesla and actually pull the trigger on Tesla stock. And, uh, it was one of the best decisions I think in my own investing career, because Tesla has done, you know, if you're looking at the fundamentals of their company, it's, it's so many different factors that makes it an amazing company. It's ingrained in the company culture. So if we're looking at the improvement culture, Tesla isn't afraid of taking risks. They're always pushing the boundaries on, um, on what is the industry standard and what is the industry norm. They don't care about that. They'll invent something completely new just to try and improve the process, remove parts out of the process. 
you know, they've created their giga casting and giga giga press machines, which basically mold 170 different uh, car body parts into two single parts. And so you can, those basically form the back casting of the body of the car and it eliminates weight. It makes the processes more efficient. So they need less robots. Uh, it's structurally more structurally sound. It's safer. So like the improvements that Tesla is making, no other automaker or other company in the world is doing. And they're able to continuously come up with all of these ideas. Like they developed the octo valve, uh, heat pump within their vehicles, which is just a simple little part, single piece, which in other EVs and other cars with heat pumps, it would actually involve like several different parts and a huge convoluted mess underneath the hood. Uh, they're, they're on the verge of full self-driving. They've developed their own insurance business, which is arguably beating a lot of the other insurance providers for Tesla's out there nowadays. They've got their own energy business, their solar business. Um, now they're talking about the Optimus robot, which eventually could change the entire labor market of the world. So, you know, even if Tesla executes only partially on that robot venture on the full self-driving venture, on the insurance venture, they don't have to hit all of these with a home run. They're still going to be a very, very valuable company and arguably probably the most valuable company in the world based on the total addressable market. So I just absolutely love the culture of Tesla and especially being an engineer. It's on, it's easier to understand how Elon Musk, you know, like how effective he is at making change happen in the company and how he's able to engineer all these solutions from the ground up. So it's really cool. So what would make you change your thesis and, and sell Tesla? Is there something that, you know, you're, you're really worried about going forward? I think um, there are some concerns in my mind. I was thinking about some this morning. So like, for example, if demand started waning a little bit, if they're, you know, right now demand is not a problem. They've got unlimited demand. They just have to continue increasing production to meet that demand but in the future it's probably not going to be like that as there are many other ev alternatives so as long as they can maintain their competitive advantage by continually updating the car having it be the one of the most efficient evs on the road having the best infotainment system you know maximizing their supercharger network keeping all of these other factors intact so that customers will keep coming back to tesla if these factors start slowing down or I don't see as much innovation on Tesla's part, then that could be a risk um, and that would reduce demand over time and lead to prices coming down and therefore profitability. So there are some factors like that. Right now, I don't see any major red flags with Tesla. I think, you know, at least the next two to five years is pretty much in the bag for Tesla as long as they can execute on it there shouldn't be any major risks to Tesla. In addition to, we just saw that uh, EV tax credit pass the house and the Senate. And so all Biden has to do is sign off on that. And basically Tesla is going to get an additional $7,500 per vehicle uh, just as pure profit, essentially, because they're going to end up raising the prices because their demand is already so high. And so that extra government money is just going straight to their bottom line. Um, and that's supposed to expire by 2030 so basically for the next decade i'd say tesla is pretty set in terms of uh just their ev business alone 
never mind the other factors like insurance, their energy business, um, you know, full self-driving, the Optimus robot. So yeah, I just, I think there's so many growth drivers for Tesla and they have so many competitive advantages, so many moats that it's really hard to find a company as good as Tesla. Um, you know, the next comparable would probably be Apple, but I really don't see that much growth in Apple. I think their growth is slowing down a lot and the smartphone business is about as big as it is ever going to get. And I think Apple's just having to expand into a bunch of different areas now to continue seeing that growth. So Tesla's a company that could continue seeing growth well beyond the likes of Apple and the market cap of Apple, in my opinion. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, that's a great breakdown, I think. And uh, but one question I have for you there. So you 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 kind of said that you you see Tesla, um, you know, prospering for the next five to 10 years or so, you know, if they keep continuing their culture and everything like that. Well, one big critique of Tesla has always been that Elon, uh, you know, over promises and under delivers. So do you feel that, um, you know, that could be a factor going forward? Like, does that worry you kind of how ambitious Elon is? Or uh, do you just like seeing that in a CEO and seeing like somebody that is kind of pushing the boundaries? Yeah, like Elon certainly shoots for the moon. And I love that the amount of ambition that he has. Certainly. I know his timelines are behind schedule. And like he's saying, the Cybertruck might come out in mid year 2023. I wouldn't be surprised if it comes out in 2024. That doesn't bother me, because I know that there's no other company that's going to be able to execute as fast as Tesla. So even if Elon is behind his schedule, what other company is going to be able to catch up to the speed and innovate faster than Tesla, you know, so, you know, Elon, he can't see the future. So he's going to be behind his schedule at times. And like full self driving, he says is going to be done by the end of this year. I highly doubt that I think maybe by the end of next year, or maybe even by 2025. But you know, what other company has the the data lead and the uh, software team and just the software architecture that Tesla has already, when it comes to full self driving. So even if Elon is behind his schedule, it really doesn't matter in the long run of things, because Tesla is still going to have, you know, massive competitive advantages in the areas that they're operating. They're always basically the number one when it comes to EVs and all of the technology associated with it. So I can't see these general, these, these other automotive companies like GM and Ford, Rivian, a lot of these guys keeping up with Tesla software and uh, their innovation techniques. So yeah, it doesn't bother me too much about that. Gotcha. And that makes sense too. So, uh, but I think it's, it's kind of interesting too, that you, you know, one of your biggest holdings is, uh, you know, an, an American company, obviously Canada and United States, very close. Um, do you, uh, I guess, do you kind of like research or find your, yourself and maybe some of your uh, Canadian, uh, Canadian uh, or fellow Canadians researching more like American companies? I know you also said you hold Shopify, but, um, you know, do you kind of, uh, I guess, look at more, more so the New York Stock Exchange or do you try to mix in some uh, Canadian companies in there? Like, how are you kind of structuring your portfolio, uh, I guess, by like companies where they're uh, located geographically? Do you look at that or, or give that any thought or anything like that? Uh, that's a good question. I do have some Canadian companies 
it's nice to hold Canadian companies because then you don't have to worry about the currency conversion or any fees associated with that. So yeah, I do look for Canadian companies. There is a new one that I recently bought, uh, which is Docebo or Docebo. Basically, they're a learning management system here in Canada, growing super quickly, faster than Shopify. And they have AWS as a partner, so it's or as a customer. So it's it's a really interesting company, and I'll be making a video about that pretty soon. So that's definitely one that I've been looking into. EQ Bank is another one here in Canada that I do own a little bit of. Um, and that's just kind of an up and coming bank, just an online bank that's growing pretty quickly, really good valuation, pretty under the radar. So there are some Canadian companies that I invest in as well, but I wouldn't say I try and find companies geographically. Like I won't say, Oh, I all, I have all us companies. Like I have to pick up a Canadian company right now. I don't really think like that. And I also don't think, Oh, I have to be diversified across like further away from North America. So I don't own any Chinese stocks. I don't own any stocks from Asia or Europe. So I don't feel that need. I think, again, it's just based on the company fundamentals. And most of the time, actually all the time, I will focus on companies in the US and Canada. I'm not interested in investing in companies outside of North America personally. Yeah, I think that, you know, I, I can kind of look around and, and, that's how I look at companies as well as just like looking at products and services that I use. Um, you know, that's kind of like the Warren Buffett methodology. And so, you know, because of that, it kind of turns me towards a little bit more of these uh, American companies as well. Um, but, you know, at, at, on the flip side, also like kind of looking into some of these American companies, it's made me a little bit more interested in some of these other ones, right? So, um, like Apple, for example, they're they're one of the biggest customers for uh, Taiwan semiconductors. Uh, obviously, you know, with the Thai, Taiwan Chinese potential conflict, that might that might hurt that company significantly. But you know, prior to that, or prior to any inclination that that could happen, you know, maybe that would have been a play where it's like kind of like okay, an underlying company on Apple. So if Apple sees success. Taiwan Semiconductor should should see success as well. And the yeah. semiconductor industry could be growing too. So I don't know. I've kind of been looking into a little bit more and kind of challenging myself to, I guess, dig a little bit deeper into a lot of these companies that I hold um, to see if I could find, uh, I guess, some of the underlying, um, you know, companies that are, you know, helping the bigger ones succeed too. So, yeah, that's smart for sure. Finding you know, the ones that are successful and then the ones that are customers of that company or, you know, Apple is a customer of Taiwan Semiconductors. That's smart. Looking up yeah. and down the supply chain. Yeah, exactly. So kind of trying to look at that a little bit more um, and looking at, you know, just other companies, too, that I think could kind of, uh, you know, succeed. And uh, at least in the short term right now, like I'm, I'm kind of looking at some companies that are dealing with uh, inflation, I guess, like pretty well, uh, or like managing to to hold the course, you know, pretty well during this inflationary environment. So, um, on that note, how is uh, it kind of affecting, you know, you as uh, you know personally in Canada and maybe like Canadians as a whole? Like, is it has uh, you know this inflation kind of made you, I don't know, maybe hold more cash, or are you kind of positioning yourself a little bit differently than you would? 
Um, or are you still like kind of, uh, I guess, holding the course with your strategy and investing, you know, maybe every paycheck or however you go about it? Yeah, I still invest every paycheck. Um, I did invest a line of credit a few months ago, but I since have been paying that off since the market's been going up. So I'm putting a little bit more cash to pay off the, the line of credits because they're variable interest. So when interest rates go up, obviously those are going to increase in uh, the interest payments. So the the opportunity cost of keeping those line of credits becomes a little bit higher. So I end up paying off those oppor- the uh, the line of credits to reduce the interest payments. So I'm also trying to save up for a house now. So. I can see that real estate is going to become a little bit cheaper in a few months. So I'm kind of preparing for that. So kind of a little bit of a different strategy than a few months ago where I was going all into stocks with every spare penny that I had. Whereas now it's like, okay, I've made up a pretty big position in Tesla. Like I'm pretty happy with the position size. Um, And now it's just kind of got to wait for them to execute and see where the stock goes for now. Yeah, awesome. So that's, that's great stuff. And uh, on that note, you know, you've been very generous with your time, but I usually end the uh, podcast with one question. Uh, what is your advice for new investors kind of looking into um, getting into investing right now, right? So they're seeing a lot, maybe a lot of these news articles or uh, news outlets saying everything's so volatile, people are losing money, yada, yada, yada. What's your advice to kind of give them that push to get started? Yeah, it's it's really difficult when you see so many headlines that are scary and, you know, you get worried about losing money. Oh, what if the stocks drop again? There's a second leg down. It's really hard to think like a long-term investor when you're just starting out investing because you don't have a history behind it. But it's really important to just get started as soon as possible. The best day to start investing was yesterday. So I think it's really good to, you know, start doing your start doing your research and put in a little bit of money i don't know maybe just focus on index funds or etfs to start but then once you get the hang of researching individual stocks you might want to focus on those a little bit but the important part is just getting started because you know in inflationary times like this the most important part is to be investing because otherwise your money is going to be worth about 10 percent less next year so you know, I've just been walking through Costco and I see prices of things going up like crazy. Even though they're on sale, they're like more expensive than they were last year. I like regular price. <laughs> so it's inflation is a real thing. And the only way to combat it is by investing. So it's really important to get uh, start putting your money away. I don't know, maybe 25 to 50 percent of your paycheck if you can every month. Just invest as much money as possible and over time that'll compound and snowball and then you'll build yourself a big nest egg. Yeah, your future self will definitely be thanking you for getting started now. So on that note, Nick, thanks so much for your time. Why don't you tell the audience where they can find you and what you got going on? Yeah, for sure. If you guys want to check out my YouTube channel, it's Nick Peitch Investing. That's N-I-C-K-P-E-I-T-S-C-H Investing. And uh, you can also find me on Twitter or Instagram at uh, Nick Peitch or 
Nick Peitch Investing, respectively. So, yeah, uh, basically have the same handle everywhere. And, yeah, you can check me out over there. Yeah, you got a great channel and you put out a lot of great videos. So um, what was the next video you said you were going to put out? I'm going to put out a video on Docebo stock, this one Canadian stock that I've been buying and why I think it's a good opportunity. So if you are interested in hearing about that, definitely check it out. They're a fast growing company growing at like 40% revenue growth and trading at a decent valuation, in my opinion, uh, on the verge of profitability. Uh, So it's pretty under the radar, in my opinion. Not too many analysts cover the stock and it's Canadian too, which kind of gives it a leg up. Usually U.S. stocks are a lot more saturated than Canadian stocks. So this could be a good opportunity. There we go. So be on the lookout for that. Nick, thanks for coming out. All right. Thanks a lot, Brandon. Really had fun.